Am I not on? I am on? Now I'm on? This is not on. At all? I'm on now. I sound good, don't I? Do I have to start over again? No. <laughs> That's one vote. Well, let's get on with business then. How about that? Let's just get on to the lesson this morning. It is a good day to be here. Anyway, just some days are a little bit more challenging than others. I'm glad to see that maybe we see some improvement in a lot of ways around about us. As Horace mentioned, I know some are seeking their vaccinations and hope of making things a little freer, and I hope that's where we're, we're headed in a, in a great way, and I appreciate that. And somebody contacted me yesterday, always George Holmes contacted me yesterday, asked me, and we were talking about I'd gotten my second dose of the vaccine and, and so forth, and moving forward, and he said, said uh, have you had any problems? I said, no, other than growing an extra foot or something like that, I think. I'm, I'm doing just fine, doing just fine. It is great. It's great to be alive, great to be here, and I appreciate that. We're looking forward to days ahead as we, we've moved out of that, uh, an amazing week, just an amazing week troubling week, but a, an amazing week, and I wouldn't have thought when Monday rolled around, I wouldn't have thought we would be in this auditorium today, but here we are, and that's amazing, and I appreciate the work that went into that to get us to this point. I want to continue to encourage you to, to keep up with things. We'll try to keep in contact with you. I've had a little computer problem in the recent days, but we're getting, hopefully getting past that, and so be able to communicate even more in the days ahead. I hope you're receiving the emails that come out from time to time and keeping up with information. We'll uh, try, to, try to make that as streamlined as, we possible, as possible in the, in the days ahead. But I want to talk to you about somebody this morning. You know, we, we've been dealing with things for about a year, coming on a year now right here in Oklahoma City area, that we've been dealing with this, this problem with lockdowns, with separations, with masks, with, with fear of one another, with, with uh, supply problems, with a, a, a whole array of troubles. And it's been kind of a year where we've kind of s stood back stood back in fear, kind of hesitant about a lot of things. Maybe we haven't even made plans. Maybe we've put everything in our lives on hold. Maybe we've, we've isolated in our homes more than we ever have in our lives, and, and yet we wonder, what in the world? And will the end come to this? And we believe it will. But we keep looking forward and saying, that day, that day, that day is coming. And I look at the numbers coming in today look better than they have you know, there was a time just not quite a year ago where we weren't even meeting in the building for a time. And then we've been able to do that and, and been successful in doing that, and I believe greater things lie ahead. But I think about that idea of waiting. And the title of the lesson today is Joseph was waiting for the kingdom. And you may wonder, what in the world is that about? Well, read with me Mark chapter 15, verse 43. Mark 15, verse 43, it says, Joseph of Arimathea, that, idea is, that identifies who we're talking about. Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. You may recognize that as being in the midst of the death and resurrection of Jesus. He died on the cross. And Joseph of Arimathea goes in and asks for the body. Pilate says, you mean he's already dead? 
and go, has soldiers go and check to make sure he's dead, but he does give the body to Joseph, and Joseph has the body of Jesus buried in his tomb. You know the women come and take care of the body and prepare it and place the, the body in the tomb. We, we know some others involved in that, Nicodemus involved in the idea and preparations and the spices and things that went into it. And that may seem like a fairly small thing, and we'll mention that again in a moment, but that he went and asked for the body of Jesus and did this good thing, but I want us to center on this idea he was waiting for, waiting for the kingdom of God. Because, friends, there is waiting, and then there's waiting. In this picture here, you see people, what are they doing? You know, everybody's sitting there with their phones or their tablets and everything else, you know. That wasn't a picture not long ago. You think about it, if you go and wait. Because waiting has changed in the last couple of decades. Walk into a restaurant today. People don't want to wait for a restaurant anymore because you get into those crowds there. But we stuck our head in one the other day, and I looked around, and there were people just sitting there staring and waiting, but there other people had their phones out in front of them standing there. And that's, that's what you see, isn't it? That's where we are. It's changed. People used to sit silently as they read out-of-date magazines waiting for the doctor to call them and go back to be checked. If they didn't read magazines, they sat and checked their watches every 15 seconds and complained about what was going on, maybe talked briefly to other people that were in the room and complained about it. It's kind of like complaining about how long the preacher preaches. They complained about it uh, the whole time they were there, or maybe they just looked and tried to figure out what was wrong with everybody else that was in the waiting room while they were there. That's what you did back then. Now we sit there and we're texting or checking our Facebook or whatever it is that people are doing with their phones out in front of them. Waiting today involves peeping, people looking at their phones, posting things, texting, maybe complaining about how long they're sitting there. I don't know what they're doing. But we don't like to wait, really. We don't really like to wait much. And I've kind of wondered about myself why it is that I have such a hard time waiting. That makes it kind of personal. But I think I'm not alone. So see if the idea rings true to you. You may be a lot like me in this characteristic. I think I don't like waiting for the same reason I don't like long car trips. Because I want to get there. I want to get there. I want to get it done. I don't want to sit in a car for the next 6, 8, 10, 12, 14 hours while we're just going down the road on an interstate highway with nothing to see. At least used to. You could drive by the Great Ball of String or something like that. But nowadays, you're just cruising down an interstate highway, and it takes all that time, and you're sitting there the whole time waiting. I don't like I want to get there. Maybe I'm telling something about myself. Maybe some of you feel the same way, but I want to get there. I want to start. I want to be there. I want to be there right there. It's like kind of going to the dentist. I don't want to go to the dentist, but when I go to the dentist, I don't want to sit in the waiting room. I want to get in the chair and get it over with. You know what I mean? I think that's the way we are about waiting to some degree. You know what I mean about that then? All right. I've told more about myself than I probably should in that regard, but maybe some of you are that way. And the offhand thought did cross my mind, and it's kind of silly in a way, but uh, do you suppose there are magazines or the Internet in the waiting room of heaven? You know, I just wonder what's going to happen there. Okay, so you're with me. So think about you. Think about how you handle waiting for a moment. And while you do so, I want you to think about an example. 
Because if you think about David, the young man David who is anointed, brought in from, the, from shepherding the sheep and is anointed to be the, the coming king by Samuel, ultimately he becomes a valiant warrior. He goes, he slays the giant, he serves under the king. And all these years he serves under the king as a very young man, serves under the king, becomes a valiant warrior for the king, but he does not. He's been anointed to be king, but he does not do anything to take the throne away from Saul. And even after the years pass and Saul is taken out by the, the Philistines and, and dies, David does not immediately ascend to the throne. Another of Saul's sons, Ishbosheth, becomes the, the king, and there is another seven-year period before David actually ascends to the throne. In either case, in neither case did he, did he do anything to take the throne away, directly take the throne away from these men. David waited. But as you know, he was not quiet and silent. He was building up his repertoire. He was learning to be the leader he could truly be. He was learning to be the man he could be. We might even apply the idea of his desire to build the temple for the Lord, and the Lord says no, and so he waits. But all the time they're waiting for Solomon's turn to build the temple. David's making plans, working on things, getting them together so that the temple can be built in a great way. David gives us an example of waiting. And so, back to Joseph. Back to Joseph of Arimathea. I want us to take a look at a man who did a good thing, but I also want us to take note that he was waiting. And so we note, and the thing that we remember about Joseph of Arimathea more than anything else is that Joseph of Arimathea had Jesus buried in his own tomb. Now that's a little bit of an unusual thing because usually tombs were for families. There'd be a place in there where the body would be laid for a time later. Somebody in the family would come and take the bones, gather them up, put them into a small box, an ossuary box, and then it would put, be put away back further in the tomb. But it was usually family, people who were related, close family, and so forth. But we look at Joseph of Arimathea burying Jesus in an old tomb is the thing that we, that we do know about that guy. What else do we know about him? Well, most of what we know about him is what we read just immediately right here and in the parallels of that. We don't really know a lot about this man. He's kind of a footnote in the ministry and the work of Jesus, kind of a footnote, and yet he does this good thing. We know he was on the council. It meant he was a respected man, probably a man of some wealth, it appears. He was a person who was recognized, knowledgeable, intelligent, capable. That's how you got onto the council. It wasn't quite like it is today, but if you were a family leader and so forth in this place and you were of the right things, you could, you could get on the council in that way. And so here is a man of some maturity and some growth, some intelligence and some ability, and he is on the council and he's a respected man on the council. And you've got to remember he was also there most likely there when Jesus is brought in and tried. He's among those. He's a part of that council. He would have been called. Now, it could be that he was absent during some of that, but he was there as Jesus was tried. He was a part of that group of people. He was a party to that group of people who tried and ultimately condemned Jesus. I'm not saying that he called for his condemnation. I'm not saying that he said any of those things. I'm just saying that he was a part of that group. 
And we can look back to Isaiah 53 and we can recognize what is happening here in this verse that we read, that he is a part of prophecy of old, that Jesus would be buried with the rich. Verse 9. And then I came across a couple of several other things and things that caught my attention when I was saying, well, what do I know about this guy? What, what can we read about him? What do, what do we know about him? There were a few legends about him in England and so forth, uh, British legends about him. And not that he went to England, that's not what I mean, but some of the legends about some of the things. But one of the legends about him was that, or is that, he was the keeper of the Holy Grail. I don't know where it came from. I don't know how they got that idea. Somebody needed to tell Monty Python or Indiana Jones, I guess, that Joseph of Arimathea was the guy with the grail. Well, if you're into that kind of thing, that's fine, and that's funny, and it's interesting. But the thing that we do note, the thing that we notice about him was this one gracious act. He went to Pilate. He asked for the body of Jesus. And he had Jesus buried in his tomb. Why did he do that? Why would he do that? Why would he come out from among his council members? Why would he come to Pilate, this Roman leader? Why would he go and ask for the body of this man, Jesus, and put it there? There's not a real answer for it. I've surmised some things. Perhaps uh, he he saw... uh, the the injustice that was being done and this was his response to the injustice that was being done to this man who had done no harm to anyone maybe he did it because he didn't want this guy who had been such a notable rabbi such a teacher of God to come to such an end without somebody doing something kind for him and maybe he was a believer Maybe he was a believer, though silent, to this point. Like many, he probably loved his place and his position, the applause, the acclaim of people, more than to surrender to the service of God in Christ Jesus. He was maybe a believer, though silent at this case. But let's say it was a courageous act. It was a courageous act of kindness for him to do this. We read it today and we say, what a marvelous, nice thing that he did. He broke with his fellow counselors. He even went to Pilate himself and did this and brought about these things that happened. And I think it's worth noting, as I said earlier, that Nicodemus seems to have been of this same character as he supplies many of the spices and so forth that go into the burial of Jesus. John 19 and verse 39 Nicodemus supplying that and the ladies taking care of that business. But the thing that strikes me in this is whether we know much or little, whether we know much or little about people, we do not always know the motivations why they're doing what they do, even people we know very well. We don't always know the motivations by what they do. I was trying to think of a really good example, and the only one that came to mind this last week was Jerry Lewis. For years, from 1951 to 2011, Jerry Lewis hosted the Muscular Dystrophy Telethon. It was brought to him when he was still working with Dean Martin. It was brought to the two of them. Would they be willing to donate their time to this cause? Jerry Lewis said, agreed to ultimately do it. I don't think he had in mind that he would do it for so many years, for all those years doing this. 
But every year, year after year, he would do that. He would call upon fellow celebrities to come and to do that. And a lot of people watched it. A lot of people donated. I don't have the numbers and the millions and billions of dollars that were raised year after year after year because of what he did. But he hosted it from 1951 to 2011. And there were always those questions. Why in the world does he do this? Why does he give up his time like this and the effort involved in this every year? Why does he draw so many people into this every year? Why did... He has somebody with this problem or what? We don't really know. Maybe he just liked being on TV. I don't know. But he did this good thing for whatever reason. We don't know his motivation. We don't know sometimes people's motivations. And I think we struggle to know why many anonymous benefactors do what it is that they do. Why did they do that? They desired it and they did it. So Joseph did a really gracious and a good thing. And as I said, maybe it was a fulfillment of prophecy. But what I want you to notice in this statement is that simple line that says Joseph was waiting. He was waiting for the kingdom of God. He was waiting. Emphasize that he was waiting for the kingdom of God. During his time, it was common for people to be looking for that kingdom. Some would say, come, we found the one. We found the promised one. We think, about, we think about Andrew. We think about Philip. We think about others who said, I think we found him. I think we found him. And it was common for people in that time to be looking for that kingdom. Even as Jesus is about to ascend after his death and his resurrection, he's with his close disciples as he's about to ascend. The question is put to him in Acts 1 and verse 6. Will you at this time restore the kingdom? People were looking for that kingdom. They wanted the kingdom of David. They wanted the Roman oppression to be gone. They wanted to be on their own. They wanted to be their own people. They wanted to see the rise of the Jewish kingdom again. They wanted to once once again be powerful in the world. They didn't really know exactly what they were waiting to see. They just knew they were waiting. And Joseph, he waited and he almost missed it he almost missed it people the train was out of the station before he really realized what he could do so here's where it goes are you waiting I mean we had quite a year haven't we We're waiting, and we're waiting, and we're waiting. But some of you have been busy, haven't you? You've been busy. You've been on the phone. You've been writing. You've been texting. You've been encouraging people. You've been seeking means to to reach out to people over this time. And boy, that helps you be fulfilled. You've been finding things to fill your time. You're not just sitting around silently doing nothing during this. You're seeking means, and you're driving towards that point of being able to do even so, so much more. But if we are just sitting back, and we're holding back not to do a thing, not that we can do everything that we want to do. I understand we've been encumbered. You do too. But I think about the old invitation song, Why do you wait, dear brother, or why do you tarry so long? Or maybe... Maybe we're reminded of that Roman governor that Paul faced, Felix. When he told Paul in Acts 24 and verse 25, go away now when I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Maybe we find ourselves in those shoes from time to time saying, well, 
when things get better, when things settle down, when, when things get to be, then I'll do something. Let's don't be so stuck. Let's don't be so stuck in our concept of the only things we can do that we don't do anything. That calls on us to think, doesn't it? To think within restrictions, within bonds. I, as I mentioned a week or so ago, and I think about Paul and Silas, here they are in prison. They could have been sitting around there saying, oh, woe is me, woe is me. Instead, they start singing. Let's don't be like Felix said, well, when things are convenient, when things are better, when things are just right, then I'll be with you. Kind of reminds you of the old adage, he who hesitates is lost. So here's some things to watch for in our lives. Some things to watch for, There's some signs if we're, if we're not doing, if we're just waiting, something that we need to think about. And so I take it from the negative here, and so if you'll excuse that, I take it from the negative. But the signs of just waiting, I think we find them even in Jesus' time as we talk about Joseph of Arimathea. Some who are just waiting are looking for a special sign. Matthew chapter 12, 38 and following, they came to Jesus and said, give us a sign for why you're doing the things or how you're doing the things you're doing. And Jesus said, no sign's going to be given to you. You're a wicked and adulterous generation. No sign's going to be given to you except the sign of Jonah three days and three nights and the, so forth. Okay. Jesus said, there really is a sign. You just look for it. Or even as he hang, was hanging on the cross. Even as he was hanging on the cross, he said, come down and we'll believe in you. Matthew 27, verse 42. Signs of just waiting is sitting back and saying, well, when I see the sign, when I see the sign, some of you need a sign, don't you? Well, we'll talk about that sign another time, but you know what I mean. Another sign of just waiting is, is the thinking that someone needs to tell you exactly what to do. In other words, nobody's told me exactly what I'm supposed to do. What am I supposed to do during this? I wonder if some of us have more than one marble rolling around in our, our heads sometimes. Do we, I think we, we need to recognize we got more at work up there than, than we really give ourselves credit for from time to time. Thinking someone has to tell you exactly what to do in that story in Matthew 20 where Jesus tells of the, the landowner going and getting people at different hours of the day to go work in his, his fields and his vineyards. And finally at the 11th hour of the day, 11th hour, they must not have had unions then. The 11th hour of the day, was that uncalled for? At the 11th hour of the day, he finds guys still standing there. What does he say to him? Why aren't you guys out working? Well, nobody has come and hired us. Nobody's come and told us where to go and what to do. Can I throw something in for just a moment? I've often wondered where the church would be today if we weren't always waiting for somebody to tell us what to do. Take that one home with you and think about it. I don't mean to be ugly. I just think sometimes we get in a mode and we have a hard time getting out of it. But thinking someone needs to tell you exactly what to do like those 11th hour workers. Or another sign of just waiting is hoping for just the right circumstances. 
when everything falls together and does it exactly right. I'm 66 years old. I know I, I don't look 66. I look 86. But uh, in 66 years, I can't remember everything completely working out right. Some of you have lived a little bit longer than that. And you say, I can't remember everything. I've had good times, a lot of good things, a lot of good things in life. You betcha. But has there ever been a time where everything was just right? Government, work, school, family. If we wait for everything to be right, hadn't been preaching in Minko, Oklahoma for very long, went out to visit a family. A fellow had been in a bad car wreck. He was busted up really bad at first. They didn't know where he was going to live. Went out and visited him from time to time. I went out and sitting down with the family one evening and talking to them, and he says, listen, he said, I know, I need to be baptized. There's some things I need to get right in my life, and I want to get well first. And I said, well, I, I understand, you know, you've got some real problems right now. Second time he said it to me, I said, you know, there's never going to be a time it's right. You want to serve the Lord, start serving him today. There may be times in which you can do more things than you can do today. There may be more times that you can accomplish some things that you can't accomplish today. There may be times that we can be closer in fellowship and do more things than we're doing today. But if we're hoping for just the right circumstances, friends, they're not going to come along. Jesus called some to come after him. One said, let me first go bury my father. Another said, let me first go home and tell them at home again. Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. And put your put, when you put your hand to the plow, don't turn back. Hoping for just the right circumstances. Let me give you one more. One more. Using ignorance as an excuse. I just don't know enough. I just don't know enough. Do you know I put food in the dog's bowl this morning? No, you didn't know that, but I did. I put food in the dog's bowl. You know what? That dog went in there and he found that food. And he ate it. I didn't have to tell him where it was. I didn't have to tell him what it was. I didn't have to tell him about the ingredients in it. He went in there and started eating that food. I hope you and I are a little smarter than our dog. He's pretty smart. Using ignorance is an excuse. In Mark 5, there's a story of that man that was possessed of all those demons and so forth that Jesus cast into the swine. Maybe you remember that story. You go back and read that story again if you haven't. After he cast him out, the man is in his right mind and everything. And this man has been an outcast of society. This man is not among the educated. This man is not among the elite. This man is one who has been cast out of society, pushed away. And once he's healed, he wants to go with Jesus. Jesus and his disciples are getting into a boat, going somewhere. He wants to go with Jesus and his disciples. And Jesus said to him, no. Now listen to this. Jesus said to him, no. You go and tell. You go home and tell them what great things God has done for you. And you know what? That's exactly what he did. He didn't know much, but he knew what he could tell. Don't use ignorance as an excuse to just wait. My friends, there's good and bad to waiting. I know we wait. Wait on the Lord. We draw from him. We, we draw from that. 
Some waiting is necessary in life. Sometimes we're going to have to wait on the doctor or the dentist or the restaurant or whatever it is that we're waiting on. Sometimes we're, you're going to have to wait on your mate or something, whatever it is. Some waiting, this is not, waiting is not all bad. That's not the point. The child can't sleep right before an event like Christmas is waiting for that event. It's not just children. We're all that way. We get anxious about things to come. There is a necessity of waiting. The bad side of it is doing nothing but waiting. Do what you can. Do what is positive. Grab hold of opportunity. As I told you, I, didn't know my, I don't know much about Joseph of Arimathea, but he did a nice thing. I guess he will always be remembered for his kindness and the burial of Jesus. But yet as he waited for the kingdom of God, he failed to see that it was right in front of him. How would we have acted if we had been in his shoes? Maybe more importantly, how do we act in our shoes? Had quite a year, haven't we? We've had quite a time. Let's make sure we're not just sitting around idle and waiting. Better things may be ahead, more opportunities, things that we can do that we can't do today. Maybe they're still just right in front of us. I don't know exactly, but we need to do what we can do, even if we're waiting for that and while we're waiting for the great event as well, for the Lord's return. And how ready are you for that? We're going to sing a song of encouragement this morning. Maybe there's someone who needs to be baptized into Christ. Maybe you have a, a need to make known. Maybe you need the prayers of the congregation. If there is a need among us this morning, you need to bring it forward this morning. We want to share that with you. And the opportunity of this inviting him is for you to use that opportunity to do, to do so. It is also a time for us to be reminded of how blessed we are to be drawn to him. If you need to come this morning, let this song be your invitation to come while we stand, while we sing together.